Well, God is good. That is going to be a lot of fun. That trike race will be a blast and uh, lots of good things. So if you want to come that day and just have fun, it'll be great. We're going to look at the Colossal Christ of Colossians again tonight. And uh, we're going to wrap it up next week and then into the book of Revelation. I can't tell you how excited I am about this series on Revelations. It's going to be incredible. Revelations Revealed it is so much more relevant uh, than last time I taught it. I mean, it's always relevant, but the things that have happened since last time I taught it are just amazing. So uh, we're going to do a topical sweep through it, which means uh, we're going to take it in, in um, bite-sized chunks, and we're, and we're just going to move through the major topics of the book of Revelation, and it's going to make you, you want to get closer to Jesus, I, I tell you. It's going to make you want to get ready for the return of Christ, because he is near even at the door, and uh, I think a lot of people are going to be reached. So let's, uh, let's look at tonight at no more chasing shadows. No more chasing shadows. I'll tell you what I mean by that as we uh, get into this. We're in Colossians 2, and I believe we're going to be starting at verse 16 when we begin. But let's just recap from last time. Uh, two weeks ago, we were not here last Wednesday, we were in Florida with a lot of pastors, but uh, let's, let's recap what we did two weeks ago. We saw that Jesus is our completion and he's our fulfillment. Can you amen that? He is our completion and he is our fulfillment. It's found in Jesus. And uh, now, we also saw that on the cross, he took care of our sins committed, took care of two things, our sins committed and he took care of our sinful nature that committed the sins, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And we talked about how we were crucified with Christ. If we have time, we're going to look at that again tonight. Now, we saw that by his blood, he took away the charges that were against us due to our sin. There was a universal warrant for our arrest. We were guilty before God. We would have gone to an eternal prison, which I cannot wrap my mind around. But it's true if not for the blood. So thank God he took away the charges. The, the warrant was erased and we have been set free. Then we saw, saw that Jesus proceeded to lead the demon powers in a victory procession following his resurrection, made an open display of them. Now this time we're going to see that believers in Jesus Christ have been delivered from empty religion. Aren't you glad for that? We have been delivered from empty religious ritual. So let's stand and read uh, this verse 16 together and pray, and then we're going to get right into it, and we're going to learn. It's so good to see uh, you folks here on a Wednesday night hungry for the Word of God. I'll tell you, that's a great earmark of the hunger level of a church. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, don't let anybody condemn you. Can you say that with me? Don't let anybody condemn you for what you eat or drink. Now, I'm not talking about going out and getting drunk. We're going to see what that means. It's religious ritual that he's talking about. Not too many margaritas. Okay. All right. For what you, don't let anybody judge you for what you eat or drink, meaning pay no regard to anybody who sits in judgment on you as to legal observances in respect to foods or drink. Then he says, and don't let anybody judge you for not celebrating certain religious festivals or yearly feasts. And don't let anybody judge you on a new moon, that is monthly 
ceremonies, when you have the new moon. Or Sabbaths, the keeping of some religious Sabbath, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, which have all come to an end with the appearance of Christ. Don't let people judge you for not involving yourself in religious rituals. All right, Father, we just thank you right now for the liberating Word of God. And we pray that you will set us free, that we will worship Jesus in spirit and truth and not be taken up by religion. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Say with me, thank you, Lord, for delivering me of empty religion. Well, that, that was about half-hearted. I think you're still religious. Let's try it again. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me of empty religion. Amen. Give him a hand and you can be seated. Praise God. Well, Paul is telling them. Here's what Paul is telling them. He's dealing with Judaizers. I've told you what Judaizers are or, or were and still are. Um, when he talks about Judaizer, when he's addressing these people, he's talking about people who are trying to place on them Old Testament ritual, telling them that you're going to have to observe this also on top of grace, on top of salvation by grace through faith. You're going to have to add to it Old Testament ritual. Or you're not saved. That's the Judaizers. They tried to marginalize, take away from the simplicity that was in Jesus Christ. And what is in Jesus Christ? What is the simplicity? You are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. That's it. That's the simplicity that is in Christ. You can't add to that. You can't take away from that. That's the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. All right? So he's saying to them, don't let these Judaizers place on you the Old Testament laws and rules to condemn or stand in judgment on them. Don't let them condemn you or stand in judgment on you. For instance, the Judaizers tried to decree not what the church could or could not eat and drink, but here's what they're talking about. But when they could eat or drink, the Judaizers were trying to place on them religious fasting. They were saying to them, if you don't fast with us, if you don't fast religiously according to what we're teaching you, then you are not worthy of the prize of your salvation. They were putting on these people Old Testament religious ritual. He said, don't let them do it. You know, folks, there comes a time with all of us that we've got to put our foot down with certain people who are always trying to condemn and judge us. And you've got to say, you know what? I'm not going to let you judge me anymore. I really don't care what you think. You're not going to drag me into court, the court of your judgment and your condemnation. Paul is telling the Christians in, in Colossae, don't let them do this to you. Don't let them beat you up with condemnation because you're not under religious ritual. You're under grace. There's nothing you can do that will get you saved. It's been done. You're saved by the finished work of Christ, not by fasting, not by re observing new moons and religious feasts and all of this. That, the, that does not save you. That adds nothing to your life. You're not saved by works. You're saved for works. Works of righteousness. Works propelled by grace. New Testament works. So he says, don't let them do this to you. 
with fasting or anything else. Paul says that the reason these things should be shunned, this ritual, is verse 17, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And guess what? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what those observances foreshadowed. Are you with me? And we're going to look at this more. It's going to make more sense as we go along tonight. But Jesus was the fulfillment of the types and shadows given to us in the Old Testament. He fulfilled them. Now keep this in mind. If I had a bright light behind me and I got right under it and I began to walk towards you, it would cast a shadow. We've all seen these movies, you know, where the creepy music starts and here comes this shadow towards this person. And what does the shadow say? It's not the shadow they're afraid of. It's what's casting the shadow that they're afraid of. When you see a shadow, you know that what is casting the shadow is next. Are you all there? So, so when something is foreshadowed, it means that there is a shadow being cast by the approaching of something real and final. And so finally in these movies, you know, here comes the creepy music, the shadow, and the shadow lengthens, and then suddenly there's the person, there's the creature, or whatever. But in a good way, I've seen movies about Jesus where his shadow came, like I remember one where John the Baptist was in prison, and it wasn't biblical, but it was cool, because he's in prison, and all of a sudden here comes this shadow and all the moving, holy, goosebumpy music. And John the Baptist sees the shadow coming, and he stands up and goes to the bars, and then there's the face of Jeffrey Hunter, Jesus. And there's the Lord. So what happened? The shadow preceded the person. Are you all with me? Well, the Old Testament has in it types and shadows, where the shadow is, is, is there because something else is approaching. So Jesus Christ is that which was approaching in the Old Testament. And so let's look at this now. Paul is teaching us that the feasts, like the Feast of Tabernacles, the Passover feast, and all of these were pointing to the coming of the Messiah. They were the shadow of things to come. They were types and shadows of future reality. Let's just take the Passover feast, uh, for instance. Great one. The Passover, you remember the story. They were told to put blood over the doorpost of their home. That that night the death angel was coming. And they were told when the angel sees the blood over the doorposts of your home, he will pass over you. And you will not come under judgment because the blood will deliver you. Okay? So we know the story. The firstborn of all of Egypt, of human and cattle, all died. Except the children of Israel didn't have one death. And why didn't they have one death? Preach to me now. Tell me why. The blood. The blood delivered them from the judgment. That's the Passover feast. Well, the, 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 the Hebrews celebrated the Passover feast for a long, long time, for centuries before the coming of Christ. But when Jesus came, the shadow was no longer needed. That Passover feast was the shadow 
telling them that the Lamb of God was coming. And once the Lamb of God shed His blood, the shadow is not needed anymore. Because it was just a shadow. That Passover feast, every time they did it, it was a shadow being cast. Who was behind the shadow? The coming of Jesus Christ. And so, once the real thing appeared, then the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross took place and the Passover was no longer necessary to observe. So there's no reason to have a Passover feast right now unless you just want to teach what it stood for and point people to the reason for the shadow. But other than that, there's no reason to have it because guess what? We got the real deal. We got the real thing. We've got that which the shadow prophesied of. So don't ever, says Paul, here's what he's telling them, don't ever allow somebody to pass judgment on you for not observing something that only served as a shadow. Especially since what the shadow had pointed to now is here. Hallelujah. I don't need the Passover feast. I've got the blood of the Lamb washing away all my sin. You know, I've got the, I've got the, and it's the once for all. It never needs to be done again. So he goes on by saying, for the very second time now, watch this, in Colossians 2.8, what did he tell us? Let nobody cheat you through philosophy and vain deceit. We talked about that in this series. But now he's going to use the word cheat again. He goes on by saying for the second time in verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward. In 2.8, like I just said, Paul already warned about letting somebody cheat you by dragging you into a philosophy that is not grounded in Christ. And this is why, church, I teach you Jesus every time I open my mouth. And I'm going to get worse. Because there is an apostasy happening in our country. There is a falling away. There is a walking away from the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And only bad can come from it. Not us. Not here. He's the one that saved me. I've been saved by grace through faith. In the finished work of Christ, I don't need another Savior. I am complete in Him. I don't need another philosophy. I don't need another truth. I am complete in Him. I don't need a religious pot pie. I have Him. You see what I'm saying? So Paul is warning them again. Don't let anybody act like an umpire against you. Telling you what is right or wrong contrary to New Testament teaching. Don't let somebody be the umpire standing behind you. And here you are, you're saying, well, I believe in this because I believe in Jesus. I believe, have you noticed lately, morality is immorality. Have you noticed that? If you haven't noticed it, let me wake you up. We are now in a nation that has lost its mind. It has gone upside down. Right is wrong, wrong is right. Light is dark, dark is light. Bad is good, good is bad. Moral is immoral, and immorality is now moral. Literally, our nation has lost its mind. So here you are, you're standing on the Word of God, and you're saying, well, I believe certain things are wrong and certain things are right based on the teaching of the New Testament. Don't let one of these people who have walked away from the Word standing behind you 
call your right wrong like an umpire. Don't let them condemn you and say, if you don't think like us, you can't be right. No, I'll tell you what, usually the majority is wrong. When I look through church history, I see that all the time the majority was wrong. And it was the minority walking with God that walked in truth. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put bitterness for sweet and sweet for bitter, the prophet declared. Woe to them. So he says, don't let, don't let somebody like an umpire standing behind you put condemnation on you for walking with Jesus Christ and standing on the word. Would you take a look at Miss California for just a moment and what happened to her for simply saying, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. That's all the woman said. And what happened? She had a million umpires behind her saying, that's wrong. You're, you're biased. You're mean. You're full of hate. Thank God. She said, I'm standing by my faith. But that's where we are, church. You're going to have to. This is why I'm teaching this. We've got to get to the point where we say, you know what? I know what's right because I know who's right. And I don't mean me. I mean the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can stand on his word. And so I'm going to walk in that word. And if you're standing behind me like an umpire saying, you're not right. You're full of hate. You're full of prejudice. You're full of racism. You're full of this and that and the other. I can say, you know what? I'm not going to let you put condemnation and judgment on me. Hallelujah. You know why? Because they're not going to give you your reward. Who's going to be standing there when you meet God? Nobody. It's going to be you in your birthday suit meeting God. Who's going to give you your reward? The Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. As for the Lord. Whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord. Not for men. And, and what does he go on to say? Knowing that from the Lord, from who? From the Lord, you're going to receive the inheritance as your reward. From the Lord, he's going to give you your crowns. He's going to give you, he's the one that's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. And church, I'm going to tell you, you better wake up. All of you here tonight and those listening by radio, church world, we better wake up. You're going to have to get a spine, get steel in your spine, and, and make up your mind that you're about to have to stand up for Christ in a culture that has utterly, totally forsaken him. I know that's strong, but that is where it is. Now, then he talks about Phony humility. You ever know, know anybody that had phony humility? You know, they're fasting, but they look terrible. You go up to them and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, okay. Well, what's the matter? Oh, I'm, I'm fasting, brother. Well, it looks like it's about to kill you. You better eat. What did Jesus say for you to do? He said, comb your hair, wash your face, and don't you act like you're doing anything. Because as soon as you say, oh, fasting you just got your reward what was the reward somebody going "Ooh, isn't he spiritual eat it up because that's all you're gonna get all right phony humility 
He says, these Judaizers that are trying to place this Old Testament stuff on you, they're, they're, they're walking in phony humility. Let's see what it says. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and self-abasement. False humility, fake humility, contrived humility, concocted humility, and not real fruit from the Spirit of God. And self-abasement. Now, self-abasement is the same thing as asceticism. And you ought to know what asceticism is because a lot of people still do it. They believe that the way that you crucify the flesh is asceticism. And here's what it is. Asceticism is the practice of self-denial and the renunciation of worldly pleasure in order to attain a higher degree of spirituality. And the church history is loaded with ascetics who felt like the only way to get spiritual is to punish your flesh. For instance, asceticism was practiced by monks. We've all seen this on TV or in movies. Who They wore sackcloth, this miserable, itchy sackcloth, and they went barefoot in extreme heat or cold. Uh, they, would, they would fast all the time and beat their flesh up all the time. Why? Why did they do it? Uh, asceticism is man's attempt to crucify the flesh by punishing the flesh. Well, that old flesh of mine is acting up. I'm going to have to beat it up. And so, you, you, you know, these people, they would put on this, this miserable sackcloth and walk out barefooted in the cold of winter to put the flesh down. And they punish their flesh. But I got news for you. You present-day ascetics of the world, it doesn't work. Asceticism does not crucify your flesh. Asceticism, punishing your flesh, fasting all the time, just to put your flesh down, does not crucify the flesh. It won't work. The New Testament teaches that the only way to crucify the flesh is by the power of the Holy Spirit operating within you. That's the only way you can crucify your flesh. The power of the Holy Spirit operating in you. Keep that spirit man strong. This is why I'm a broken record. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Stay in worship. Keep the spirit man strong. Because as the spirit man inside of you, that new man is fed and cultivated, receives the word, walks with God. It crucifies the flesh as a byproduct. Are y'all with me? Y'all are real quiet. So you can't crucify your flesh, but God can. All right? Now, Look at Romans 8, 13 says, if, if you live according to the dictates of your flesh, you're going to die. You're going to experience spiritual death. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are habitually putting to death, making extinct and deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body, you will live really and genuinely forever. That's why God put the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. Because he knew your flesh would slaughter you if your flesh did not come under control. And the only way your flesh is coming under control is when it's controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not beating it up, but the Holy Spirit. This is good stuff, y'all. I hope you're letting this soak in real good because this is the way you either live or die, succeed or fail in the Christian life. You've got to keep that spirit man strong. Feed him. Have you fed him today? 
Have you, have you fed him this week? Well, I fed him Sunday. I was here in church. Good word, preacher. Well, my word's going to last you about one day. <laughs> and then you've got to get your own manna. So there's another shadow. They had to go out there every day and gather manna every day. And if they didn't get it early in the morning, first thing during the day, it rotted and it was too late. And they couldn't use yesterday's manna for today's meal. They had to get fresh manna every day. That's a shadow. Well, what's the real thing? Well, he's our manna. Jesus said, I'm the manna from heaven. And guess what? You've got to gather from him every day. And, if, and, and whatever you gathered yesterday isn't going to last you through next week. You've got to gather every morning. And you've got to gather first. And you've got to feed your spirit, man. Amen. Now, then he says, he says, let no one cheat you, insisting on worship of angels. Now, I'm going to talk to charismatics for a minute. Let no one cheat you, insisting on worship of angels. Do we worship angels? Do we worship angels? You ever heard of anybody in the church that says, I, you know, I, I had an angel come visit me and we danced in my living room? And they got into the shower with me and we talked and... I mean, I've, I've read all kinds and heard all kinds of weird, bizarre stuff. Let me tell you something. If a real angel comes to you, you are on your face, white as a sheet, scared to death. You're not dancing in the moonlight with an angel. But I've heard these things. I've heard these things. We, we charismatics, we can go off into loony land if you get out of the Word. I've heard it. I've heard Jesus came into somebody, some woman's room and, and brushed her hair. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not brushing your hair. <laughs> I'm just telling you things I've read and heard. I've heard him say it. And th there's this big thing about angels. Well, he said, don't let anybody cheat you, telling you that you need to worship angels. He says, these false teachers tried to prove their so-called humility by saying, we worship angels. That's how they tried to prove their humility. We worship angels. And they insisted that the Colossian Christians do the same. You need to worship angels. But Paul has already shown us in Colossians 1 that Jesus Christ is infinitely higher than the angels. You know, why settle for a McDonald's burger if you've got a T-bone steak? My dogs are smarter than that. You don't need to worship angels if you can worship the Lord Jesus who's infinitely higher. Nowhere in the Bible have we been called to worship angels. All right? Look what it says in verse 16, chapter 1. For through him, Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And what are those things we cannot see? Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. There is a seen world, and you're in it, and you're looking at me and things around you. That's the seen world. But there is an unseen world wherein exist angels, cherubims, seraphims, the Holy Spirit, demons, the devil, unseen yet real the unseen world and who made the unseen world jesus everything was created through him and for him 
So Paul is saying, don't let anybody act like an umpire over you, telling you that you've got to humble yourself through self-denial, because you don't. The Holy Spirit will crucify the flesh for you. Telling you that you've got to worship angels that Scripture never once tells us to worship. Or that you've got to observe certain feasts and holy days in order to receive your prize. You don't. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone else to wash my sin away. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. There's not one thing I can give to it, add to it, or take away from it to perfect my salvation. It has been perfected. Now, next Paul reveals where these false teachers got all this stuff, and I want to look at this. He says, here's where they got it. They're taking their stand on visions. They claim to have seen. Now, once again, charismatics, let me tell you something. Those of you that have been filled with the Holy Spirit and believe in the gifts and pray for the sick and you, you know that 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is real and that miracles didn't pass away with the first century. Let me talk to you folks. We put a real premium, some of us, on somebody saying, I had a vision. I had a dream. Oh, it was powerful. Do you know that these false teachers slipped their false theology in based on saying, I had a vision. I had a dream. God visited me. And he showed me this, that, and the other. And so I'm telling you to worship angels because the vision told me to. I'm telling you that you need to observe these feasts because the vision told me to. And Paul is saying, "Uh uh-uh. These false teachers were claiming to have had visions. It's instructing them to observe these things. And, And you know what, folks? There's nothing new under the sun. Listen to what Paul warned about in Galatians. I can't believe your fickleness, he says to the Galatians. I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It is not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other worship angels. Observe Old Testament law in order to be saved. That's not what you received. An alien message. It's a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even what everybody preached to me, even if an angel from heaven were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be, say it with me, cursed. Even if it's a visitation from an apparent angel, if it does not line up with the word and the supremacy of Jesus... Let it be cursed. I don't care if you got goosebumps. I don't care if light came into your room. I don't care if you levitated off the floor. If it doesn't preach Jesus and the gospel, the simplicity of Jesus Christ, let it be accursed. You need to throw it away. Throw it away. If anyone, he says, regardless of reputation or credentials, doctor, so-and-so, Ph.D., of this and that and the other, sometimes Ph.D. just means piled higher and deeper. (laughs) If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. That's how Paul felt about it. 
Paul says, even if you claim to have seen an angel, it doesn't matter if the message is anything other than salvation by grace through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let it be accursed. This whole thing of validating errant teachings by claiming to have had a vision or visitation from God is everywhere. Let me give you a couple of examples. Mormons. During the 1820s, a man named Joseph Smith worked as a farm laborer. And he developed uh, his religious ideas based on divine supernatural encounters he claims to have had how did he get people into mormonism i had a vision i had a dream had a visitation i saw an angel after 1827 by his own account he yearly visited a book written in a hieroglyphic script on golden plates buried in a nearby hill doesn't that sound so spiritual the book's location he said, had been disclosed to him by an angel. So he's saying, an angel appeared to me and led me to this book that was in a hill. In 1830, he completed the translation of these plates, quote, he claims, by the gift and power of God, and published the Book of Mormon. Yet, once the Book of Revelation was completed, you know what John has to say about that? Once the Book of Revelation was completed, the Bible was finished john warns as he finished the final verses of the bible's last book here's what john said and i solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book if anyone adds anything to what is written here adds anything god will add to that person the plagues described in this book and if anyone removes any of the words from the book of this prophecy God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, uh, period. Now, hang on for a second. Is that powerful? When the book of Revelation was finished, he said, that's it. Genesis to Revelation, that's it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Yet Joseph Smith came along with a whole book, Book of Mormon, and said, oh, there is an addition. No, there's not. No, there's not. Let's look at Islam. Muhammad periodically withdrew to a cave outside Mecca to meditate and pray for guidance. During one of these retreats, he experienced a vision of the archangel Gabriel by his own admission, who proclaimed him a prophet of God. Okay? He was greatly perplexed by the experience, but was reassured by his wife. And as new revelations followed, he came to accept his prophetic mission. Muhammad proclaimed his own message, the Quran, to be the last revealed book. Wait a minute. I thought John said his was the last revealed book. Come on, everybody. Are you with me? He said this Quran is the last revealed book. That's not what John said. And himself to be the last of the prophets. That's not what the Bible says. Consummating and superseding the earlier ones. Muhammad, he said, consummated and superseded the earlier prophets. But the Bible is very clear about the fallacy of this. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Quote, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. Once for all. 
Muhammad was 700 A.D., seven centuries after the sun. He said, now I'm completing this deal. No, the Bible says Jesus completed this deal. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost done. We're just about there. Nearly got it. He said, it is finished. I'm trying to show you the way deception has moved on this planet. Now, Paul says the problem with those that seek to marginalize Christ or add to his finished work is their sinful minds have made them proud. There's never enough time to finish this up. Let's stand together. I'm going to stop there. We'll, we'll wrap it up next time. I am going to jump forward to the, the summary so we can look at this summary and we'll finish it up next time. Because I had some good stuff. There's just never enough time. All right, we're about there. We're about there. I, I really had some more time to go. Uh, here's the summary. Say this with me. The real thing has come. Let's read it. Jesus Christ, God's Son. The shadows have passed away. The reality has arrived. You will not live a holy life by self-denial, but by the inward-dwelling Holy Spirit's power. Don't allow anyone to cheat you, whoops, to cheat you of what Christ has done for you by judging the liberty you have in Christ. Your prize shall come from him alone. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Thank you, Lord. Mm.